We're in the book of Jonah, and he has been preaching, not for that long, uh, 40 days, God said, unless Nineveh repents, uh, they will be judged, 40 days. So Jonah couldn't have been preaching for more than 40 days because the people do turn to the Lord in repentance and faith. Uh, it is one of the greatest revivals before the day of Pentecost. And what makes it more amazing is that it's not uh, the children of Israel, but it's a pagan people and in a city that was renowned for its violence. The city of blood was the nickname given to Nineveh. And now the city of blood has been transformed into the city of God. And we should never lose hope uh, wherever we may find ourselves, however sinful a community, a society may become, God can break in by his spirits like he did in Nineveh. And we have looked at the effect that Jonah's preaching of the gospel had on the city. They repented, Jesus Christ said, at the sign and the preaching of Jonah. That's an important word. It means to turn to Jesus Christ. Uh, we uh, turn from sin. Uh, we are sorrowing for sin. Uh, we practically turn. But the key to repentance is that we're turning to a living saviour who accepts us just as we are. Uh, faith and repentance go together. Sometimes in the Bible, you just have the word repent, but it takes it for granted that it is believing repentance. And other times, more often, you just have the word faith. And that means penitent, repentant faith. Just to give one example, the Philippian jailer was told to believe in the Lord Jesus. No mention of repentance. But he's told to believe not just in Jesus, Saviour, but in the Lord Jesus, which means there is a turning away from sin as well as being saved from sin. So that's what we have seen, uh, this repentance, which is what we need uh, in our churches and through that in our society. Now, you would expect after that that the book would end on this note. So Jonah returned to his own country rejoicing. Wouldn't you expect that? But alas, it doesn't end like that. The hardest part in the book of Jonah is the fourth chapter, which we're going to look at. Not all of it, but we're going to look at the first half tonight. Let's read... Uh, verses 1 to 5 of Jonah chapter 4. Jonah 4, verses 1 to 5. Here is a man who's been in a revival, who's been used of God in a revival. What's his reaction? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said? 
when I was still in my country. Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. And there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Oh, dear me. This is called the Jonah Syndrome. Books have been written about it, even medical books. Wouldn't you give an arm and a leg to experience revival? I, I would. Jonah ha- has been in a revival. Not only that, he's had a miraculous deliverance uh, in the belly of the whale where God met with him. What an experience. And he's had the word of the Lord come to him a second time. Another amazing experience. And to be used of God in a mighty awakening. And what's he doing here? He's angry with God. He's bitter. He's churlish. That's called the Jonah complex. (laughs) The Jonah syndrome. And believe it or not, it's still common today among evangelicals. Uh, This is what Bull says. What irony. As God's displeasure relented, God's displeasure about Nineveh was turned away, As God's displeasure relented, Jonah's displeasure fermented. As God's grace and kindness prevailed, Jonah's small-mindedness quailed. How sad. And yet, throughout the history of the church, there have been professing Christians who have acted just like Jonah. They just can't stand the fact that God has been gracious and merciful to a people they don't think deserve it. And Jonah, rather than stay in the city and seek to minister to those needy converts, he withdraws himself. He doesn't want to be contaminated by them. And he's sitting there at the east side of Nineveh. And he's got to build a little tent for himself because of the heat. And he's waiting for the city to burn. But it doesn't burn because God has been gracious to them. And Jonah is the one burning. Nineveh isn't burning. Jonah is burning inside with rage and with bitterness. There's, can I say this? There's something childish about his reaction, isn't there? He's going out to sulk. Because he doesn't like what God has done. He expected God, under his preaching, to send fire from heaven and judge the people. That's how Jonah had been used before. He was an awakening preacher. But instead of that, God, by his spirit, yes, convicts these people. But then he converts them. And poor Jonah doesn't like it. One encouragement here. (laughs) In chapter 1... When God was dealing with him, Jonah ran away from God, didn't he? 
here, he didn't run away from God. He ran to God. So that encourages me. Uh, I think it's Hugh Martin who says, agitated and alarmed in chapter one, he fled from the Lord. Agitated and alarmed in chapter four. There's a, a parallel you see in Jonah. I haven't got time to go through that. He flees to the Lord. He does not seek a refuge from God as he did in chapter one. He makes God his refuge. That's encouraging. So we're all enigmas, right? Jonah, even as a child of God who's experienced the grace of God again and again, he's still an enigma. And you and I are enigmas. Thank God that the Bible isn't clear cut when it comes to human nature. Aren't you glad of that? Uh, it deals with us where we are at. I think there's something childish here about Jonah. You know what I mean? Like a little boy sulking because he can't get his own way. One commentator says, Jonah's in a huff. Do we, do we say that? We, we say it's um, where I'm from. You're in a huff with somebody. Jonah's in a huff with God. <laughs> what a terrible place to be, in a huff. Are you in a huff with God? You may not admit it, but maybe you're not accepting God's ways in the time we're living in. Does, does it cause you to sulk spiritually? The Jonah syndrome. Now then, why do we even as believers get like this? Why did Jonah, after so many wonderful experiences of God, why did he end uh, in this bitter way? We don't know how Jonah eventually ended because the book doesn't end with happily ever after, does it? It's like a modern film. The ending is open. It just leaves you full of questions. How real the Bible is, you know? Now, why do we become like this? I've just got a number of reasons. The first reason is this. Jonah's human. You and I are in the flesh. I don't mean flesh here uh, by sin. I mean flesh in terms of the physical. We are in the body. And these bodies, they drag us down, don't they? We're not thinking of sin here now, right? We're just thinking of being human. Now, who does Jonah remind you of here? He's just had a great uh, encouragement, been mightily used of God, and now he is down and he wants to die. Does that ring any bells? There's no juniper tree here. There's a booth, a tent instead. But it's just like Elijah after Mount Carmel, after being used of God. Elijah is exhausted and because he's in the flesh, his body is physically uh, exhausted. He's mentally uh, unbalanced. He uh, is emotionally drained. And we shouldn't be surprised that Elijah and Jonah just feel like giving up. What we could say of Jonah is what was said of Elijah by James. Elijah was a man, I prefer it in the authorised version, of like passions. Isn't that a good word? Of like passions as ourselves. Oh, have you been able to deal with these passions, these emotions? We can never master them, can we? The flesh. We're still human. Sinclair Ferguson when God moves in great power, there are occasions 
when men are used in extraordinary ways. Think of Evan Roberts, 1904-05. How many people were brought into the kingdom? 100,000? They're used in extraordinary ways and may even seem to reach extraordinary degrees of godliness of life. But in the aftermath, they appear very ordinary, very human. And it's too superficial a reading to explain their condition exclusively by sin. Do you know Evan Roberts had a breakdown after the 0405 revival? And he never really recovered from it. There were occasions when Evan Roberts even said that the revival was a mistake. Can you believe that? Incidentally, Evan Roberts ended his days in this city. He worshipped at Park End Presbyterian Church. And I'm told he even had tea now and again with the minister of this church. Isn't that encouraging? We're only human. Do you, do you think sometimes if we were to have a revival that that would be the end of our problems? It would be the beginning. You know, revival would cause even more problems. Uh, if God was to send his spirit in power now, the first problem we would have would be <laughs> uh, the social distancing. Do you realize that you are a human being as well as a soul? Jonah had been repressing his emotions. Uh, all these fears, prejudices, bitternesses, complaints, he'd been keeping them to himself up till now. The whole reason why he ran away in chapter 1 to go to Tarshish was he was prejudiced. He was a small-minded religious man and he couldn't get why God would send him to the enemy to preach the gospel. He just didn't get that. And rather than confront that, he ran away from it. And now, finally, it's all coming out. And do you know what God does? He lets him complain. Don't you love that? Uh, Jonah prays, doesn't he? Verse 2, so he prayed. All the anger, all the complaints, all the bitterness comes out of him. Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? God lets him speak. God did the same to Elijah, incidentally. Um, do you know what I have to say sometimes to my trainee, Howell George? I say to him, you're a sieve. I'm a sieve as well. Are you ready to be a sieve as a Christian? That we just listen to one another, you know? We want to help one another, and we shouldn't be uh, judging one another. We're not in a competition. We're all in this together, and if we want to help each one, we listen, don't we? More even than talk, and that means being a sieve. God was being a sieve here to Jonah, and I read from the psalm at the beginning, as a father pitieth his children. Maybe you had a strict father, so you can't understand how God can be a father. Listen, God is different. 
as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him, for he knoweth our frame. He knows your temperament. He knows whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. He knows those secret fears that you have. He knows them better than he knows yourself. He knows the labyrinthian ways of the mind. Praise him. We have a saviour who will not break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. Uh, One hymn puts it like this. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail. In thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end. What a lovely combination. How tender, how firm, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. So that's the first reason why even a man as mightily used as Jonah in this chapter goes away in a sulk. He's human. You and I are human. Secondly, I think there is a spiritual attack here. Do you know what I mean by that? A spiritual attack? Satan's kingdom had been brought down in Nineveh. Great inroads had been made into enemy territory. And incidentally, that's what we are in. We're in a spiritual battle. Uh, The battle is the Lord's, I know, but we are the soldiers in this battle and we're marching under the banner of our commander, Jesus Christ. And it's a banner of truth and it's the banner of his love and it's the gospel that we're taking. And in parts of the world, that gospel is conquering, not by destroying people, but by saving them. And even in this country and even in our little church, there have been inroads. Praise God into the kingdom of darkness. I I can't remember how many have been baptized recently. Don't take that for granted. Shouldn't it surprise us then? It shouldn't. If the enemy will try to disrupt that work. You know, Satan cannot destroy the work of God. It is impossible for him. He is on a leash, and the one holding the leash is Jesus Christ. But what the devil will try to do is wreak havoc with the work of God. And I think he's trying to do this with the servants of God here. And hasn't he been doing it with God's servants in our country these last few years? Uh, Whenever there is a revival, the devil will produce counterfeits in order to sow seeds of confusion and to bring dishonor upon the work. Have you heard of um, the Great Awakening in the 18th century in Northeast America? Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield. Um, oh, I forgot the name now of uh, the man who started the Log College. Mighty preachers. But there was a man called James Davenport. And he was quite a dynamic figure. And it looked as if God was blessing him as well. But the problem was he was emphasizing the outward, the spectacular, uh, the falling to the ground, the ecstasies. And the devil did much damage with James Davenport. Thankfully, James Davenport came to his senses. But we should always 
be on our guard against the spiritual attack. The same happened to Elijah after Mount Carmel. Yes, the devil is getting to him. Using maybe his exhaustion, uh, that can give a foothold to the devil. That's why Paul, after preaching, he kept under his body. Martin Luther, have, have you been to um, Eisenach in Germany? A wonderful place in the woods. And you've got the Wartburg Castle, where Luther spent one year in exile. And Luther had been used of God in Worms, standing before all the great and the good. And then he went into hiding in the castle in Wartburg, and the devil had a go at him. You know what Luther said? Luther said, the de- well, this is the... Um, a lot that Luther said regarding the devil uh, is better not quoted. <laughs> but I can quote this. The devil rode upon my back. The devil rode upon my back. Do you know that experience? A satanic attack. There's a room in the castle in the Wartburg where the devil's presence was so real to Luther, he literally threw the ink pot at him. That's a satanic attack. This child of God who'd been mightily used and who was being used because he was translating the Bible into German. The devil wanted to stop him, but the devil wasn't going to win. But the devil was still causing confusion. My friend, are you ready for a spiritual attack? We must pray for protection against the wiles of the enemy. In Pilgrim's Progress, Christian has had lovely fellowship in the House Beautiful, which is a picture of the church. And then, do you know what happens after that fellowship? He doesn't go automatically to the celestial city, to heaven. He descends into the valley of humiliation. And do you know who he meets there? Apollyon, who's the devil. And he's engaged in spiritual warfare. So, we're in the flesh, we're in a spiritual battle. Another reason, there's a lack of spiritual understanding, isn't there, with Jonah here. Hang on, you say, isn't he spot on theologically? Verse 2 again. So he prayed to the Lord and said, look at his prayer. Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness. That sounds very good to me. Well, it does. He's right in the head, but he's wrong in the heart. What did Mr. Hyam say? We know the doctrines of grace, but do we know the grace of the doctrines? Uh, this is what one commentator says. It's Artie Kendall. Uh, Artie Kendall preached on Jonah when he started in Westminster Chapel. And if you can get hold of those sermons, they are powerful. And he put it like this, Artie Kendall. There wasn't anything wrong with his theology. He was angry because he did not put his own theology into practice. How many of us are indicted by the very theology we claim to believe? We claim to believe the sovereignty of God, yet we panic we claim to be owned by Jesus Christ, but we run our own lives. My friend, if you know the truth, blessed are you if you practice the truth. 
when I was in Bible college, I had friends from overseas who weren't reformed in theology. They hadn't had the privilege of being brought up in a sound evangelical church. They had imbibed all sorts of weird and wonderful teachings, but they put into practice the little theology they knew, and there was more reality to them than to us who were from the United Kingdom. Isn't that why God is blessing his work in other parts of the world and why there is a spiritual dearth here? We don't practice what we preach. Jonah didn't get it. He understood the grace and the mercy of God, but he didn't see it. And what makes it more tragic is this. He'd experienced it himself. He'd experienced it in the belly of the whale. Salvation is of the Lord. He'd experienced the God of the second chance coming again to him. And he'd experienced it in Nineveh, preaching to people who didn't deserve the least of God's mercies. And what's happened to him now? It only reached his head. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Do you know what grace means? Undeserving mercy. What does that mean? That nobody deserves it. Whether you're a Jew, a religious person, like Jonah, brought up in a, a protective environment uh, with uh, good, moral things being taught, or whether you're a Ninevite, brought up in the city of blood, without any morality, without any teaching of scripture sackcloth levels there's only one kind of person in God's eyes do you know what that person is sinner it doesn't matter whether you are a respectable sinner or whether you're an out and out sinner you're a sinner I'm a sinner isn't that Jonah's problem he's limiting God's grace to his own kind of sinner Isn't this relevant to us today? Uh, we are living, aren't we, in culture wars, as they call it. There is, uh, the last time it really happened in this country was the 1960s. There was a clash between the old and the young. And we're beginning to see that tension again, aren't we? And it's not my place in this pulpit to come down one side or the other. But what I'll say is this. This gospel is for everybody. I was in a wedding in a church up in Pontypridd, uh, an independent Pentecostal church. Uh, oh, they're a tonic, aren't they, to be in, uh, singing the Sankeys. And there was a big notice outside the church, whoever you are, you are welcome in this church, whoever you are. So if you're a Jew, as it were, a religious person, you're welcome. If you're a Ninevite, an out-and-out sinner, you're welcome. Jesus Christ receives sinners. And he transforms sinners. Sinners don't remain the way they came to Jesus. That's repentance. But the coming to Jesus is whoever. Praise God. Whoever. There is hope for me there and for you.
There's no categories. This gospel can be preached here in middle class. You don't mind me saying we're middle class, do you? No, you don't mind. This gospel can be preached to us middle class people. And it can be preached to people who are out and out in the world. There's no difference. All have sinned. And the same saviour is available to all. I find that amazing. I find it astounding that I can preach here the same gospel as I preach to the tribal people in the hills of Andhra Pradesh. Who is a pardoning God like thee? Who has grace so rich, so free? Poor Jonah. He wanted God to come down to his expectations. Whereas we should let the word of God and the infinite heart of God shape our little expectations. Aren't our expectations too small? I know it can be misunderstood, but in the right context, this is spot on. There's a wideness in God's mercy. I believe the last day will be a day of surprises. Here's Artie Kendall again. I find these very challenging words. We must be willing to let God be God and manifest his glory wherever he wants to do it. If God wants to bless people in some other place, can you rejoice in it? Can I rejoice in it? We want to be the centre. And churches can get so involved in their own work that they think they are the only church that matters. Oh no. Can you rejoice when God is blessing the church down the road? Can you rejoice when God is blessing another culture, not your own culture? Oh yes, there's a cry in our hearts. Lord, don't pass us by. But can you rejoice, my friend? that in the 20th century and in this century, the gospel is going out into more countries than ever before. God is building his church. Oh, we often betray a narrow-minded lack of spiritual understanding. And then one last point. Human, spiritual attack, lack of spiritual understanding, and then, of course, there is sin. <laughs> we, we, can't, we can't avoid that. Uh, did you notice uh, in Jonah's prayer, even though it was theologically correct, did you notice one word that keeps on being repeated? Ah, Lord, wasn't it not this what I said when I was still in my country? Interesting, isn't it? Therefore I fled to Tarshish, for I know there's a lot of I in it. No talk here about God's leading, because there wasn't any. I trouble is still with the church, isn't it? Isn't that what causes problems? The I gets in the way of God. Jonah here is displaying before its time, Phariseeism. 
That's why I read from Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. It should also be called the parable of the elder brother. Jonah is being like the older brother, isn't he? The older brother uh, couldn't understand why the father was showering his blessings upon the younger son who had lived a prodigal life, who'd squandered his inheritance. And yet, when that son came home, the father ran and embraced him and just blessed him. And the older brother couldn't join the celebrations. He just stood outside, just like Jonah, on the outskirts of the city, just looking with hatred, bitterness. A bull. Once I am on the throne, the thought of mercy tends to die. Self-righteousness will call for judgment. Are we gracious? Have we moved on from grace? May that never be the case. May our prayer still be, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. May we never lose that sense of amazement that it's by grace we've been saved and we are being kept and we will get home. All of grace. The God of all grace. And if that's the case, surely... If God is merciful to people who don't deserve it, isn't that what we were? And if we have people coming to this church, we should expect whoever to come. And being exposed to this God, like the Ninevites, they'll be convicted, but they'll be converted. But it's still grace, isn't it? It's still grace. Uh, I've got to come to a conclusion. Uh, The greater than Jonah, you see. Jonah here is so pathetic, so small-minded, so judgmental, like us so much of the time. But the greater than Jonah, Jesus Christ, is the exact opposite. Oh, the heart of Jesus Christ for lost souls. May something of that love of Jesus Christ be upon you and me. Uh, Listen to Paul. Wasn't Paul a Pharisee of the Pharisees when he was Saul? And then the grace of God transformed him. And Saul, Paul, couldn't get over that. Put on tender mercies, he says. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Do you forgive one another? Do I forgive? If we can't forgive, have we really tasted the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ? You see, Jonah's ultimate problem was he wasn't willing to lose face. He had his reputation back home to worry about. His reputation was the awakening prophet, the prophet that had denounced the sin of the Assyrians. What were they going to say back home in uh, the um, uh, Galilean uh, times? Front page news. Awakening prophets. 
turns away. <laughs> he was more worried about his reputation. Are we? Or are we going to say, let God be God. Lord, be thou exalted through me, even at my expense if needs be, as long as my Savior has the glory. Billy Graham wrote these words. I found the quote about two weeks ago in the prayer diary of the Cricketh Church up in North Wales. I'm sure we're all remembering in prayer uh, the situation up there. And I was so encouraged when I read these words. I want to finish uh, with this. This is the cure to the Jonah syndrome. Uh, quoting, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. It is our human nature which makes us believe we are in control. And it's when we stumble or fall that we ask for God's help and he turns it for our good. This is Billy Graham now. The good is not to make us necessarily healthy or happy, but make us holy, to make us like Jesus. If the goal of our lives is not to be like Jesus, that goal is too small. Is that your goal? Or is your goal just to be the image of a reformed evangelical Christian, whatever that may be? Or whatever background you come from, it doesn't have to be reformed evangelical. I'm just mentioning that because my, my own background is that. It's to be like Jesus. Our God must do that. Our goal must be to be conformed to the image of God's Son. And God is going to use everything to bring us to that. He's going to use drowning, being in the belly of the whale, even being bitter and sulking, <laughs> he's still going to use all of that. Where are we? Are we, like Jonah, still going to remain sulking, discontent, always complaining? Or are we going to be willing cooperators with a greater than Jonah so that we can become what the Lord will have us be. We want not the Jonah syndrome, but the greater than Jonah syndrome. We have the mind of Christ, don't we? May that beauty rest upon us for his namesake.